All right, Romans chapter 8. If you're using those blue Bibles, that's page 944, one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you. By the way, before we, uh, we get into the text this morning, I think it was, I just want to recognize another, another couple, Edgar and Mildred, they're right there. I believe, um, not, not this Friday, but the last Friday, two Fridays ago, right, you celebrated an anniversary again, and this one would be a big 5-5, five, five, 55 years, guys. Yeah. Absolutely. By the grace of God, it's a beautiful thing. Just a wonderful thing. So you, you married folk, if you're looking for some wisdom, Dr. Mildred. <laughs> that was for you, Mildred. That was for you. All right. So it has been a few weeks since we've been in Romans. And um, two Sundays ago, if you don't know, I preached a Father's Day message. And last Sunday, Thomas... Uh, he preached through the first seven verses of Proverbs, and he did that, if you remember, in order to help us understand the book's title, author, purpose, and motto, why, so that we would be prepared to receive and benefit from God's guiding principles for wise living that are contained within that book. And as I mentioned last week, Thomas is going to, this is going to be a regular thing. He'll preach at least once or once a month. And he's going to take us, while he's doing that, through the book of Proverbs. And my prayer and hope in all of this, as we move through this book, is that we would uh, learn of, or maybe be reminded of, maybe you've been through the book of Proverbs before, maybe you've read it, but uh, we would learn the principles there, the great principles that are, that are found in the book of Proverbs, and that we might become more faithful in applying those principles to our lives, so that we would not only do a better job of honoring God with our lives, by the way, uh, how many of you want to honor God with your lives? Yeah, that's, I'm going to talk about that later, but that's a sign of the Spirit of God in your life, okay? The unbelieving world is not interested in honoring God. If you don't want to honor God with your life, there's something very wrong. There's something very wrong. Either in your, you're either in a real bad place in your Christian life or you're not Christian at all. So that we might, if we look at Proverbs, I'm hoping that as we move through the book, we would want to honor God with our lives. How? By living wisely, Right? By living wisely, by living according to his word in this fallen world, in this messed up world. But also, listen, but also, my hope is, my prayer is that by walking wisely, we might avoid the many harmful consequences that are attached to foolish and sinful living or unwise living. You know what I'm talking about? Any of you have any idea what I'm talking about? And, and I bring that up, beloved, because... Too often, way too often, our problems or difficulties or sufferings or sorrows that we experience in our lives are actually things that could have been avoided. They could have been avoided, but because of our foolish or sinful choices, because we don't always act wisely, hello, right, because we don't or because we lack Maybe we just lack or neglect or even sometimes foolishly refuse God's wisdom, right? We end up suffering. We end up suffering. We end up bringing pain into our lives and, you know what, into the lives of others because sin has a way of kind of splashing out on others, right? It's not, just, it's not just about us. It ends up on others too. But we end up doing that, and it's entirely unnecessary. 
There, listen, <laughs> there's enough suffering going around that we don't need to bring more of it into our lives unnecessarily. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you with me? So sometimes we suffer because we're living godly. Sometimes we suffer just because we're living in this fallen world. That's going to happen no matter what, my friends. That's going to happen. We know we're not getting out of that mess until we come into the new world. There's no more suffering there. But much of our suffering, unfortunately, is suffering we never had to take on. We brought it upon ourselves because we lived like fools. Huh? Right. And I, you know, I could stop right here. We could preach a whole a message on all the ways in which we do that. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Like finances. Can't tell you how many people talk to me about their finances, how messed up they are and how much they're suffering. Mm. But when you begin to look at it, the reason that's happening is because they've made many foolish choices, right? Many times, that's why. And so they get into trouble and they suffer. And it takes a while to get out of that mess, right? You should get excited about Proverbs because it will teach you how to live according to God's wisdom. And, and, you know, God's a loving God. He's a loving Father. He tells us these things because He doesn't want us to walk off the wrong course and get messed up, fall into the ditch. Just like you, don't you tell your children, don't go out into the street and play. Most of you, I'm sure, do that, right? Uh, and why? Because you love them, you care for them, you know what could happen to them. So listen, I know we're going we're gonna to get to Romans here in a second, but I just, I'm excited about Proverbs. You should be excited about Proverbs but what you need to do, I'm going to recommend something to you. You need to be in it. You need to be reading it, meditating on it, okay? Here's one way to do that that I found helpful. How many chapters in Proverbs? That's right. How many days in most months? 30, 31, right? February's a little tricky. So here's what you do. You simply, whatever day it is, you read that chapter. It coincides with the chapter. So if it's the 29th, you would read the 29th chapter. If you do that faithfully, why are you laughing? <laughs> Babe, did I say anything inappropriate? Okay. If, inside joke over there, I guess. If you, read, if you do that consistently, you'll read through the entire book of Proverbs on a regular basis. So even if you fall off one day, don't, hey, look, they're short too. They take like five minutes, 10 minutes, in most cases to read max, five minutes. So 29th, you just, it's the 29th. Hey, Jeremy said, all right, read Proverbs 29. Let me show you how powerful that is. Watch. Today's the 29th, Proverbs 29. Here's just a few of the treasures that we find in this book right here, Proverbs 29, 11. And I don't have time to discuss all these, but, and they're going to magically pop up on the screen. I believe. All right. Look at this, 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. Uh, the NIV says anger. Uh, then the NASB says a fool loses his temper, but a wise man quietly holds it back. How much unnecessary suffering do we experience because we don't listen to the wisdom that's found here? Huh? 29.15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The New American Standard says, a child who gets his own way. That's what that means. A child who gets his own way or her way, that child will bring shame to his mother or her mother. A child that's not disciplined. Huh? What's the wisdom of the world now? Oh, yeah, they're their own person. 
They're their own per. Don't discipline them. Oh, you want to do that? You want to be crazy and radical? That's okay. Let's talk about that. Discipline's bad. Instruction, all those things. Correction, bad, bad. Wisdom of the world. Wisdom of the world. Here's the wisdom of God. How about Proverbs 29, 17? Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. Now, remember, when you read these, here's something that's helpful. Read the opposite of what it's saying. Don't discipline your son, and he won't give you rest. He will give delight to your heart if you discipline him, if you instruct him according to God's way, if you correct him, if you chastise him. Yeah, if you punish him. Because foolishness is bound up in the heart of children. Yeah. So all the parents are like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And all the kids are like, I brought these because I knew you'd all be in here today, so I wanted to share that with you. <laughs> Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? In other words, he doesn't think before he speaks. He just opens his mouth and lets it all fall out. There is more hope for a fool than for him. You'd better be a fool, but then you at least think about what you're going to say. You'd be better in that case than to be a man who's hasty with his words. You speak too fast. You don't think. A man of wrath, 29-22, stirs up strife. One given to anger causes much transgression. Is that not true? Absolutely it's true, right? You know, what I love about this is all these things that it teaches us and guides us by the Spirit of God, we can can live this out. The Spirit of God comes into our life now. I have the ability to put away, repent, put down that anger, and to walk in love and kindness and all those things that push these things away, and, and so I don't stir up strife and cause much transgression by the Spirit of God. And finally, 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. He who is humble. Any of you wrestle with some pride? You're lying if you say no. Just letting you know right now. Pride never, never results in good things. All right, beloved, so that's Proverbs, but now we're going to turn our attention to another credible book of the Bible. So let me encourage you to do that. Here's one takeaway. Read the chapter of Proverbs that it is that day. If you miss it one day, no worries. Pick it back up the next day. Do that on a regular basis. If you actually were consistently doing that, reading through Proverbs 12 times a year on a regular basis, I promise you, you will be in a much better position than you were a year ago. If you do that for you, I promise you, I promise you. But now we're going to look at Romans. I said we have uh, been away from the book for a couple of weeks, so what I thought would be good to do is just briefly review where we've been, what we've recently covered. We're in chapter 8. By the way, by way of reminder, chapter 8 makes the most references to the Holy Spirit more than any other chapter in the New Testament. Okay, so it's a lot going on concerning the Holy Spirit. And more specifically, I would say it's uh, concerning the role that the Spirit plays in the gospel and the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer. That's what we're seeing here in Romans chapter 8. So for review and for context, what I want to do is just read uh, the verses that we've already covered, which are verses 1 through 8, and then we'll read verses 9 through 13 that we're going to cover this week and next. And uh, then I'm just going to remind you a few things that we've already talked about. Is that okay? All right. Let your Eyes go to the Word of God. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, that is always an amen 
Amen, hallelujah verse. So I'll try that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, thank you. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, amen. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All right, beloved, first four verses, we're going to move a little bit fast because we're a little behind. First four verses of chapter 8, we discovered this. This is all by way of review. Maybe new to some of you who have not heard this. All the sermons are online, so you could always get fill in the details that I'm leaving out this morning. Uh, We discovered what life is like in the first four verses in the Holy Spirit. That's what we discovered. And it's truly, it is truly the best life anyone could possibly have or ever hope for because... It is a life that has permanently been released from the condemnation every one of us as sinners so justly deserve. And how is one released from this condemnation? We looked at that. And as we learned, it is through, in part, it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because He is the one who has the power and authority through Christ to set the sinner free from the law, remember we talked about that word, the law, or the power and binding authority of sin and death, and in part, new life to the sinner. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does for the believer. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the agent of our salvation, the agent of our salvation. Or you could think of it this way. Let me, let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit takes what Jesus Christ achieved through his sin-bearing and substitutionary death on the cross, and he applies that saving work to the one who puts their trust and hope for their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit does. And the wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer doesn't end there, beloved. It doesn't end there. But he also, as we saw, empowers the liberated believer to truly live for God. How's that? 
to love others as God wants them to and thereby fulfill the righteous requirement of God's law. Remember we talked about that. I showed you why I believe the righteous requirement of God's law is to love, to love one another. By the way, Paul says, this is something that the person in the flesh or the one who walks according to the flesh cannot do. They cannot fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And then in verses 5 through 8, we looked at this, Paul goes on to explain why that is the case. Why is that true? He does that by pointing out the radical differences between those in the flesh and those in the spirit. Or you might say the differences between unbelievers and believers. The differences between non-Christians and real Christians. Those in the flesh, those who live according to the flesh, according to Paul, are those who set their mind on the things of the flesh. That's their mindset. And the flesh, beloved, is flat out opposed to God. It is opposed to God. It is hostile to God. It is rebellious towards God. It is self-serving and self-exalting. And you can see that just by going to Galatians chapter 5 and looking at the deeds of the flesh, verses 19 through 21, as Paul lays those out in comparison to the deeds or the fruit of the Spirit. And beloved, those in the flesh, those in the flesh are those who are still ruled, motivated, and guided by the flesh, by the flesh. And you might remember I said when Paul uses the word flesh here in Romans, he is not referring to the muscular tissue on your body that covers your skeleton, but rather he is referring to that unredeemed aspect of our human nature that has been tainted, twisted, ruined, and weakened by sin. Did you hear that? When you, when you think of flesh, when you see flesh here in this context, in Romans, you can think of that unredeemed aspect of our human nature that has been tainted, twisted, ruined, and weakened by sin. That's why the flesh is hostile to God. That's why the flesh is opposed to God. That's why the flesh is self-serving, self-exalting, and self-seeking. You ever wrestled with any of that? Yeah, we all do. We all do. And as I said before, Christians, and as I'm saying now, they still retain their fallen flesh, right? We haven't got rid of it yet. That's a coming. But what Paul's making clear here is they are no longer in the flesh. The Christian, the believer, the spirit-filled believer is no longer in the flesh, no longer governed and ruled by it, by their old, corrupted, and sinful nature. Rather, the Christian now is in the Spirit. They walk according to the Spirit. They are governed, guided, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. And this Spirit enables them to live for God and to honor Him with their lives, to walk in righteousness, to exalt and serve God. And empowers us to want to. That's the distinction. That's what I was telling you earlier. Do you want to honor God with your lives? 
That's, a, that's like a diagnostic question, because if you don't, if you do, that's an indication that the Spirit of God is in you, dwelling in you, because that's exactly what the Spirit of God is going to do, and that's what he wants to do. So the Christian now wants to do that because the Spirit of God indwells them. If you don't have any desire to honor God with your life, then that's certainly an indication that there is no Spirit dwelling inside of you. So in verse 8, after contrasting those in the flesh with those in the Spirit, Paul, and remember I told you, Paul's not talking about two different types of Christians, remember? He's not talking about, hey, there's some Christians that are in the flesh and some Christians that are in the Spirit. He's absolutely not saying that. He is making a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. And so he simply says, hey, those in the flesh cannot please God. At the very end there in verse 8, he says they, they cannot. By the way, he says cannot, right? See at the end of verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He doesn't say will not. He doesn't say will not. He says they cannot. They're actually unable. They lack the power. They have no power to overcome their fallen flesh. All they are is flesh. They're in the flesh. They're not in the spirit. And therefore, they cannot please God. The flesh is constantly twisting and ruining everything that they would do, guiding them and empowering them in a different direction, away from God and away from the things of God. So what we need, beloved, is a power. What we need is a power that's greater than our flesh, right? Yeah, that's what we need to overcome our flesh. And that, beloved, is the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not your power. It's not my power. You, we don't have the power. We lack it. We need something greater and more awesome than our nasty flesh that we still retain to overcome that flesh, and that is the Spirit of God. And then Paul says, after saying that, in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, talking about those people, he says this, now watch, here we go, chapter 8, verse 9, you, however, who's Paul writing to? Yeah, Christians in Rome. You, however, unlike the people I've been talking about in the flesh in verse 8, you Christians, however, not a special group of Christians, not a super-duper power group of Christians, he's not talking, to, he says, Christians, period, you, Christians in Rome, you, however, are what? Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What's it say? Yeah, look, it's right there. You, however, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, he says, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. All right, that's big. And so now we're going to step into our outline, all right, for this morning. So if you, you can open up your books, your uh, bulletins, that is. In the left-hand side, you'll find an outline if you're not familiar with that. This morning, we're simply going to begin to consider three important facts concerning the Holy Spirit so that we might grow in our understanding of, appreciation for, and dependence upon Him. Pretty simple. It's kind of what we've been doing. We're learning more about the Spirit. We want to understand Him. Here, we'll have a greater appreciation for Him and realize our utter dependence upon Him as we look at these verses here in verses 9 through 11. And the three important facts concerning the Holy Spirit are that we're going to draw out from the text are first, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, without exception, dwells in all who belong to Christ. Okay? We're going to just focus on that today. 
Second, it is through the indwelling spirit that life will be given to the Christian's mortal body. Third, it is by the indwelling spirit that the Christian fulfills their obligation to the spirit by persistently putting to death the sinful deeds of the body. Now, beloved, do not miss next week. Please. Please don't miss next week. Okay? Be here. Because we're going to cover points two and three. They're very significant, especially point three. They're all significant, but three is pretty important. So, like I said, we'll cover point one today because of our time. And we'll cover two and three next week. So, let's deal with a few technical things first in verse 9. And then we'll deal with its meaning and the significance of it. Or at least one significance of it. Look back at the text with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Again, reading, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You see that phrase, if in fact? You see it in your Bibles? Okay. If you have an NIV, it might just say if. Uh... NASB, I think, says, if indeed. But if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. All right, I already said this. Who's Paul writing to? Christians in Rome. And he says to them in verse 9 that, that they or you, and the you is plural there, so you could say you all. Y'all, like Texas, right, Alex? Alex is from Texas recently. He just got here, and now he's a California boy. He says he's in love with California. But do they say y'all down in Texas? Yeah. So you can say it that way if you're from Texas. Y'all, uh, you all are not in the flesh. Does that make you feel more comfortable, Alex? Because that's what I'm here for, to make sure you're all very comfortable and uh, not to draw you out or anything. But are not, you all are not in the flesh but in the spirit. And then he adds a conditional statement. This is what I want to draw your attention to, a conditional statement. All right? A conditional statement is simply, if this is true, then this is true, or if this is not true, then this is not true, or something along those lines. There's a condition being attached to it. He uses, uh, he says there, if in fact. He uses the same language in uh, verse 10 and verse 11. He says, but if, but if Christ is in you, and then again in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, if, you see it? In your Bibles? Now, this conditional language should, should be understood, or yeah, should be understood not as Paul doubting or questioning whether those he was writing to were genuine Christians. Okay, how do we know that? Well, we know it based on the context of Romans. So, so Paul's not saying here, Paul's not saying, if, I'm not sure. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you're those who are in the Spirit. He's not doing that. And we know that because when we look at Romans, we know what, how he feels and thinks about the people he's writing to. I'll just take you back real quick. Romans chapter 1, the opening chapter, verse 8. Paul says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. For all of you. Why? Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Their faith in Jesus Christ. Their faith in Christianity. He says, I thank God for you because it's being proclaimed. It's known throughout all the world. People know who you are. I know who you are. You're the real deal. You're Christians. How about, how about the context of chapter 8 itself? When we move forward just a little bit further, chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, here's what Paul says. For you... 
did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. We'll talk about this when we get there. But you have received the spirit of adoption. Uh, We celebrated that this morning. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, our spirit. Paul's including himself with his readers that we are, we are children of God. You think Paul doubts who he's writing to? He thinks he doubts their Christianity? No way. How about farther on when we get into Romans? Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I myself, Paul says, am satisfied about you, my brothers, my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's saying, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Would he be writing this way about unbelievers or if he had doubts about their their standing before God? You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. All right, so I just, it's a technical thing. I just want to show you that because I don't want you to read these conditional statements and think that Paul is calling into question their salvation or he wants them to doubt it. You know, he's like, hey, you however are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, that's not, we might say something like that. I would say something like that to you guys because I'm always challenging you. But no, he, he's not doing that here. Okay, he's not doing that here. So there's no doubts. The, the conditional if in these verses, it, really what it does is it highlights the results of being saved. Because you notice with each conditional statement, if this is true, then this is true. This is true. That's what he's really emphasizing. If this is true, then this is true. And it again contrasts people of the flesh with people of the spirit. People who are in the spirit with people who are in the flesh. He's still doing that. He's still drawing that out. So let me just, uh, let me try to give you an example of what that might look like in modern day uh, lingo. If I'm sitting at a turn signal uh, with someone and, it's, uh, and I'm training them how to drive and uh, it turns green and it has a green arrow and it's green, okay? And they pull out. You know what I'm talking about? I'm making a left. It has a green arrow. And it's one of those lights where it can be a green arrow or just green with a green circle. Are you guys with me? Uh, so I say, they say, can I go? And I say, you don't have to yield if you have a green arrow. You don't have to yield if you have a green arrow. Do they have a green arrow? Yes. I'm not wondering if they have a green, I'm just setting the condition and I acknowledge they have a green arrow and I want them to know you don't have to yield if you have a green arrow, but I also in that statement in drawing attention to the contrast, if you don't have a green arrow, you got to yield. I let you know. I don't know why I got so excited about the illustration. It's not even the word of God, but I think it's because all these memories came back to me of teaching my kids how to drive, and it was uh, scary for a second. But that's that's what's going on. Okay, it's he's just setting the condition there. He's not questioning their salvation. He's drawing attention to the fact that yeah, if the if you have the spirit of God, and you do, you could even translate it sense. You could even go to 8, 9, you are however not in the flesh but in the spirit, since in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. But he uses the conditional statement because he's attaching one thing to the other, and he's just again drawing the contrast between the two. Because you're in the spirit, these things are true of you, okay? You with me so far? Just a technical point. And then Paul says one more, look back at the verse. Anyone, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 9, the, the last part of it, Romans 8, 9, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The him, the closest thing to him is Christ. So the him is Christ. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Him is Christ. You with me? All right, now, here's the other technical thing. Paul uses two phrases here, Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ in verse 9. Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ. Based on the context, both of these references must be understood as a reference to the Holy Spirit. There's no other way to understand them. Spirit of God and Spirit of Christ. He's not talking about a spirit of Christ, like Christ's spirit. He's talking about the spirit of Christ. They're both references in the context to the Holy Spirit. The whole path, the whole section is about the Holy Spirit. Okay, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. That Paul would use that phrase to refer to the Spirit indicates clearly that the Spirit is God. He's God. He's divine. He's not a force. He's not a power like some cosmic power. He's the Spirit of God. And as the Spirit of God, He carries out the desires of God. He's in line with God's will. He is God, third person of the Trinity, Spirit of God. All right? So that elevates the Spirit to a level of the highest level. That He is the Spirit of Christ, there's some different uh, understandings about this, that He's the Spirit of Christ. It could be referring to simply this. In the Gospel of John, maybe you've read it, you know it, in that gospel, Jesus made repeated references to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, promising that after he, Jesus, returned to the Father, remember the ascension when he went back to God, his Father? When he did that, he promised that he would send, yeah, the Comforter or the Spirit or the Helper, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he would send him to live, live in his people. All right? So the Spirit of Christ may just be a reference to that. It may also be referring to the fact that this indwelling Spirit promised by Christ is the Spirit who applies, as I've said already, the benefits of Christ's saving work to the lives of believers. So it's the Spirit of Christ. Where Christ is, the Spirit is there applying the benefits of Christ's salvation to that believer. Okay? So just both are references. So here's the point I don't want you to miss, though. That was all technical stuff in verse 9 concerning the Holy Spirit. If you, here it is. If you are void of the Spirit of God, if you lack the Spirit, I just want you to notice what the text says, then you do not belong to Jesus Christ. Do you see that in the text? You do not belong to Jesus Christ. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Christ. So I simply stated it in the affirmative this way. That's point one. The Spirit, without exception, without exception, dwells in all who belong to Christ. Or some other Bible commentators have made these statements concerning that passage saying this, possession of the Spirit, possession of the Spirit goes hand in hand with being a Christian. However much we may need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, from the moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within a settled resident within. In fact, 
Look back at the text. You'll notice he says, in beginning in verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, dwells in you. That, that word has the idea of this, made his permanent residence within you. He has taken up residence, permanent residence within you. You are his home. You're not going anywhere. He dwells in you. Okay? Another writer says this, the gift of the Spirit is an initial and universal blessing received when we first repent and believe in Jesus. That's when it's received, beloved. That's when it has to be received because you don't belong to Christ if you don't have the Spirit. Do you get me? Okay? This is important because some have taught throughout the years that the Spirit is a second blessing that you get sometime later on in your Christian life. That is not true. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you at the moment you place your faith in Christ because you can't possibly belong to Christ without also possessing His Spirit. It's the very Spirit of God that applies the benefits of the salvation that Christ has won for you to your life. That's such crazy thinking that you could not have the Spirit then you couldn't be saved. And if you don't belong to Christ, if you're not saved. So anyway, that. Uh, The gift of the Spirit is an initial and universal blessing received when we first repent and believe in Jesus. Of course, there will be many further and richer experiences of the Spirit, but the personal indwelling of the Spirit is every believer's privilege from the beginning. Yes, it is. Blessing. To know Christ and to have the Spirit are one. They're one. With me? Okay. Now, why is it important to know that? Why is it important to know that the Spirit, without exception, dwells in all who belong to Christ? Which means He lives in them and remains in them from the moment of their conversion and salvation, as I've already said. Let me give you one reason. There are certainly more. Let me give you one. It is the fact that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, makes a radical difference in the hearts and lives of those he indwells. It is that fact. Let me, let me try to connect this together for you, why it's important to understand that those who belong to Christ have the indwelling spirit. Those who do not have the indwelling spirit do not belong to Christ. Now follow me here as I attempt to string this all together. What Paul is saying in this chapter, verse 9 as I've said, is all those who belong to Christ are indwelt by the Spirit. You see that in the text, right? All who belong to Christ are, not maybe, not if they're lucky, not if they're super-duper Christians, not if somebody comes up here and lays his hands on them and prays for them real hard. None of that nonsense. No, no. All who belong to Christ are indwelt by the Spirit. End of story. It's God's gift to his children. Okay, you with me? All right. Now, verse 9 again, and those who are indwelt by the Spirit, look at the passage, verse 9, those who are indwelt by the Spirit are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Huh? Right? We're backing up. We're basically backing up logically through the text. All those who belong to Christ are indwelt by the Spirit. All those who are indwelt by the Spirit are no longer in the flesh, but in the Spirit. We talked about what that means. They're governed, guided, empowered, no longer by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Okay, right? Now, verse 5. Here we go. Taking all the way back. If you are in the Spirit, 
If you are in the Spirit, then you no longer live according to the flesh or set your mind on the things of the flesh. That is to say that the desires of the flesh are no longer the things that absolutely preoccupy you, that consume you, that you give all your time and energy to, that you concentrate on. But rather now, what is true of you, if you belong to Christ because of the indwelling Spirit of God, is that you live according to the Spirit, and you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And what that means, beloved, is the direction of your life, the character of your life, generally speaking, as a Christian, will be different than the direction of someone's life who isn't indwelt by the Spirit of God, the one who does not belong to Christ. the one who remains in the flesh. And so, follow me. If that is not you, if by that I mean you are not different than the one who does not belong to Christ, the one who is in the flesh, not in the Spirit, the one who does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, if you are not different, even a little bit, then you have no reason to believe that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You have no reason to believe that. You have no, let me say this, you have no biblical reason to believe that. Uh, And if you don't have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, then you know what? What's the text say? Then you certainly don't belong to Christ. You don't. No matter what you may say or what, or what someone might have told you. There's a, so let me back up for a second. On the flip side, all right? Because I'm going to come back to the person who I think doesn't, who may be wrestling with that. Do I belong to Christ? How do I know? Well, If you belong to Christ, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. If the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, you are no longer in the flesh but in the Spirit. And if you are in the Spirit, there will necessarily be a change in your life, a real change, a progressive, growing change. It has to be that way. It will be that way. Not perfection, as Thomas said last week, I think. It's not a perfection in your life, but it's the direction of your life. You're moving now in a new direction. The Spirit is ruling inside of you. It's the powerful Spirit of God right? There's going to be a change. You're going to have a new desire. I'm not saying you don't still wrestle with the flesh. Oh, remember I told you that. We still wrestle, but now we do wrestle, right? Now there is a battle. Whoa. All of a sudden, I have all these new desires and affections in my heart. I want to serve God. The flesh is like, no, no, but you feel that before the flesh said, we're going to do our thing, and you're like, okay, it's cool. Do our thing, flesh. That's the difference. Uh. Where did I go with that? Oh, so I'll come now. You're a Christian, right? We're almost done. We're a Christian. You're a Christian. Let's say you're a Christian. This is what's cool for us. This is what's cool for us. How do I know I belong to Christ? Hmm? I, heard, I heard change. Spirit wrought change. Change that the Holy Spirit brings. Yes, change. Real change. And I'm not just talking about external change, my friends. Because you can do that. You can fake yourself out. You can fake us out. 
You're not going to fake God out. That's all that really matters. But I'm talking about change that happens on the inside because that's where the Spirit of God lives and dwells. So he's changing you. And as he changes you, the external changes for real because of this internal change. But you know something's going on. You can sense it. All of a sudden, things are not like they used to be before. Hello. I'll tell you, it begins with the fact that you gave your life to Christ. You were running from him. The spirit enters in. Now you're giving your life to him. Perfectly? No. But that's what you want to do. That's the best intentions of your heart. And then he empowers you to do that. We'll talk about that more in 12 and 13. Putting to death the deeds of the body. You do that by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. All right? So you can get excited about that. I'm going to tell you. I heard another pastor say this. The most convincing evidence that I have in my life that I belong to Christ is the change in my life that I've seen come through the Spirit that now indwells me. That's what I'm betting on. That's what I'm counting on. Not alone. I know the Word of God says what it says, that whoever confesses Him, they shall be saved, right? You better believe it. But that saved person now belongs to Christ. And if they belong to Christ, they'll be indwelt by the Spirit. If they're indwelt by the Spirit, they're no longer in the flesh. They are in the Spirit. They're no longer walking according to the flesh. They're walking according to the Spirit. Their lives will be changed and transformed. That's how they know they belong to Christ. Now, just real quick, back to the guy who thinks or gal who thinks they belong to Christ because you know, they made some profession of faith when they were seven or eight, or they were at a big rally, and a bunch of people, they called everyone to come to Christ. Fantastic. But they didn't come to Christ because they didn't come to Christ necessarily for, for real. In other words, their friends were doing it, or everyone else was doing it. So they just kind of get caught up in the motion, and they go up there, and they say, hey, raise your hand, pray a quick prayer, so on and so forth. And then, of course, sometimes these people will tell you, all right, you've been born again, you've been saved. I wouldn't say that to anybody. How do I know that's true? If that was sincere, that's true. And time will tell. So I can say, yeah, it's true if you were sincere, if you were for real. You've been born again. You've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Now, my friend, time will tell. Time will tell. Because we've got this idea like, oh, I, I know. I, I know I'm, I'm, I have belonged to Christ. I have the Spirit of Christ living inside of me. I have the Holy Spirit. How? I feel it. You what? What? You feel it? What if that's bad pizza? What if that's indigestion? What if you're convinced yourself to feel something that's not true? Hey, your feelings ever are deceptive? Have you ever had deceptive feelings? I'm just going to tell you, nowhere in the scriptures does it talk about confirming your faith through your feelings. Let me, let me tell you what that thinking gets you. A Mormon comes to your door, and they'll give you their whole blah, 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 blah. And then you say, your book is blasphemy. The Book of Mormon is not the Word of God. End of story. Goodbye. And they say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you ever read it? Yeah, I've read it. Well, did you, did you pray about it? What? Did you pray about it? After you read the Book of Mormon, did you pray to God and ask him to, uh, you know, Help you know or not whether it's the Word of God. No, I know it's not the Word of God because I compared it to the Word of God. Uh, and it doesn't line up. No, no, but listen, we prayed and we had this uh, 
Burning of the bosom, they call it. It's, a, it's an inward burning sensation that takes place, and that is their confirmation that that book is the real deal. Beloved Christian people, I'm going to say people who think they're Christians, make that same mistake. They have some experience, some they get all... They're at some meeting, and they go, oh, I feel it. I've been, I've been saved. I can feel it inside. And then their life is no different than it was before. There's no change, no transformation. They're still in the flesh. They're still walking according to the flesh. And yet if you ask them, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I am. Does that mean you belong to Christ? Oh, yes, I do. You know, that means you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. Sure, yeah, I feel it all the time. Anything else? What else? Do you see what I'm saying? So, beloved, let me say this in closing. I've gone way over, as is usual. Maybe you're here, and uh, there's no change in your life. You say you're a Christian. You say you've been born again. You say you belong to Christ. Maybe you don't say any of that. You just say, I'm a Christian. But I want you to know what that means. It means something. It means something to say you're a Christian. Paul says it means you belong to Christ, and if you belong to Christ, then the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. If the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, you won't be the same. You think he just shows up and sits in the back and lays low and sits as his lazy boy, turns on the TV, does nothing, the Spirit of God inside of you? That's what you'd have to think based on the testimony of some, quote, Christians. I guess that Spirit of God's lazy over there or something, maybe just taking a break. That's not it at all. When the Spirit of God comes in, man, there's a war that's on now. There's a war. So, beloved, friends, you don't, you don't see any change in your life? None? I'm going to tell you right now, you need, to, you need to think about whether you belong to Christ. There's a really good chance you don't. And uh, Christ is awesome. He's always inviting you to come. You could come right now. You could come this morning. You could actually get saved for the first time in your life, for real. You could recognize, you could call out to Christ, go, I don't, I thought I knew you, but I don't, I don't believe I know you based on what I'm reading here, based on what the, the Paul is saying about the gospel. I don't think I know you at all. I can't clearly know you because there's no change in my life, no real direction of change, not at all. And I'm not talking about the kind you manifest on the outside to fool your friends. I'm talking about real change, Right? Why don't you give your life to Christ this morning for real? Why don't you repent and turn to him for real this time and then watch what happens in your life? Beloved, by the way, maybe you're sitting there and you don't know Christ, but you're not even saying you're a Christian. Great. You know what you are? You're in the flesh and you're stuck there. You're stuck there and you have no power to overcome that twisted, messed up, perverted, sinful side of you. So your life is bound for destruction, not just eternally, but even in this world. You want to undo that? Come to Christ. You come to Christ, his spirit will be placed inside of you, and you'll begin to become transformed. You'll be empowered now to live for God and to begin to walk in a way that leads to peace and blessing and happiness and ultimately eternal life with God. Come to Christ. I ask that you would do that this morning. After the service, we'll have a couple of people up here. Mildred, Edgar, Tim, if you could come up and Senia. Just come up here. They would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. They would love to talk to you about how you could give your life to him for real. (laughs) For the first time, maybe, right? 
Because you can only do it once, guys. And to my friends, to my Christian friends, you know what you should do? Look back on your life right now. Examine your life, huh? Do you see change? Any? You should. If you're Christian, you must. Do you see it? I'm not saying you don't struggle. I struggle. We still struggle, right? But do you see it? Do you see a new direction? Give praise to God. That is his confirmation. That is his stamp on your life that you are mine. You are mine. I took you. I sealed you with my Holy Spirit. I'm changing you. You are mine. I'm a holy God, and I'm calling you into holiness. You are mine. That's how you know. Give praise to God for that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, may it do its work as your spirit applies it to the hearts and minds of those that are here. Father, may you call people into saving faith. May you call them to yourself this morning. I, there is no doubt in my mind, Father, you, are, you alone know these things. You alone. But there's no doubt in my mind there are those that sit here this morning that they don't know you. They don't have a saving relationship with you, Father, through Jesus Christ. They don't belong to Christ. They don't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. Father, right now, may you, may you make it impossible for them to think about anything else except that. May that overwhelm their heart, and may they, may they not stay in that spot, but may they flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. May they run. May they find there your solution. May they find there the salvation you have provided through your Son. May they find there the gift that you give to all who belong to Christ your Holy Spirit, who indwells us, who applies the great benefits that Christ secures for His people, applies them to them, freeing them from any and all condemnation, granting them eternal life everlasting, and empowering them now to live in a way they could never live before. They could not please you those who are in the flesh, but now they can. Now they can honor you and exalt you and serve you. How? Through the power of the Spirit that indwells them. Father, may they run for that. May they come up this morning. May they talk to someone. Don't let them. Father, may they not leave. May they not believe the lie of Satan that says, I'll do it another time. I'll do it another week. I'll try it next time. I don't know. Not now. No, now, now. Do your work, Father. And Lord, for us, you, for us who have been saved, Lord, we know we have a long way to go. We can, we can focus on all the mess that we are, and it's everywhere, man. It's everywhere. We don't have to look long and hard to see the mess that we are. But Lord, just this morning, might we take a moment to reflect on the change that's happened to us through your spirit that indwells us. May we rejoice in those things. May that fire us up to pursue your holiness even more. Because any of those things that we've seen in our life, they always brought blessing. They always brought peace. They gave us a reason to rejoice. They made our lives better, not worse. May we rejoice in those things. May we see that as that stamp that we have on us that demonstrates the reality that we are possessed 
by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. We are His home because we belong to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.